What up, brawlers? Welcome back to Throwing Hands. I'm Jacob Janoski. Alongside me is Danny Woods. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited to talk about this 251 card. As am I, of course. This is really, really exciting stuff. First time, first UFC events in a couple of weeks. So we're just going to start. We're reviewing the whole main card today. So we're going to start off with uh, the 14th ranked Amanda Rebus versus Paige Van Zandt. So what do you have for me on Amanda Rebus? Well, Amanda Rebus is so far kind of a pretty exciting prospect coming up in this women's strawweight division. Like you said, comes in ranked 14th. She's 9-1 and one in her career, and she's got a decent mix of finishes, actually. She's got nine wins. Three of them have come by knockout, three have come by submission, and three have been decisions. Her last two in uh, – her last two fights, I should say, have been decisions, and that's two out of her three in the UFC – uh, but her UFC debut, she beat Emily Whitmire with a rear naked choke. Uh, that's her second win with that. She's also got a knee bar finish early in her career. So she's obviously got the ability to do it on the ground. And she's the daughter of a jiu-jitsu, uh, Marcelo Rebus. Her father was a jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, and judo teacher. So she's obviously got a really wide range of abilities that she's been taught her entire life. She's got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo. So she's a really versatile fighter. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking too. And she's she is very well versed. She's also very aggressive from what I saw. And if you saw uh, when she fought, uh, what's her name? Um, I don't know. Really good Brazilian. Couple couple weeks ago, she uh, I forget who she uh, uh, uh le- Ronda Marcos. No, not Ronda Marcos. Uh, that was her last fight. Sorry. No. Um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking here. Hold on. I now nah, thankfully we could look this up real quick. So. I can't remember. Uh, Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern. Right. Yes. She, she really put the pounding on a really good, nice, another nice upcoming prospect in Mackenzie Dern. She really put a good pounding on her. And then I believe she submitted her. And then, yes, like you said, with that, uh, she could do anything she wants, really. She's so well-versed. And I think she kind of is up next in this division. And with so Paige Van Zant kind of on the downcline lately. She does have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. She, uh, she decided to train in martial arts after she she had some uh, troubles with sexual encounters, sadly, in her life. But, you know, she's overcome that. And what I've noticed with her is that she's very light on the feet when, she, when she's moving around. That's because of her dancing background. And I feel – and she does like the, the tie clinch a lot. So she's very light on her feet. She moves a fair amount, and she could definitely get in the pocket. What do you have? She's a, a pretty interesting fighter, especially matched up against somebody like Rebus because she, as you said, is really good in the clinch and she's an aggressive grappler when she gets into that position. She likes to take people to the ground, finish with really good ground and pound. That's one of her best characteristics is her strikes once she gets people to the mat. So she's going to have to be careful how aggressive she gets against Amanda Rebus because she is such an outstanding Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter. I think if Paige Van Zant can kind of attack without getting caught in too tight which is tough to do obviously when you work out of the clinch so much 
she could be in a pretty good position in this fight. This is going to be a really interesting one. Yeah, well, and I think, so moving on to Keys here, with Rebus, I think if she controls the pace, she has this in the bag pretty much. She can do anything she wants. And if she gets on the ground, I don't think Paige Van Zandt has the chops or the, the ability to really counter or reverse on Rebus that much. What do you think? I would have to agree with that. It's, it's going to be a tough fight for Paige Van Zandt because of how well-rounded Amanda Rebus is and because Paige Van Zandt likes to thrive on the ground and thrive with top control. But Amanda Rebus is so well-versed in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, she doesn't have to have top control uh, to pull off some kind of finish from the ground. So uh, for Rebus, I think, you know, control the fight on the ground and really do as much as you can uh, to keep Paige Van Zant from getting into a dominant position where she can bring down some heavy strikes. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. That's, I, could, I couldn't agree with you more there. And with Van Zant, it's I think it's keep it on the feet. That's really the only chance he has. Even if she gains cop, top control on the ground, like you said, Rebus still has the advantage on her back because she's so comfortable there. What do you think? Because like I said, she, she thrives in a grappling environment, a dirty boxing environment on the feet too out of that clinch. So it's, it's going to be tough for her matched up with somebody that has a superior grappling background. You know, Paige Van Zint's really been an up-and-down fighter since she kind of emerged as a prospect. And at this point, it's going to be tough for her to battle somebody like Amanda Rebus because, again, her striking isn't at an elite level to to fend off somebody that, I mean, obviously has such a great ability on the ground. It's it's difficult for Paige Van Zant because she will be outclassed when this fight goes to the mat. Yeah, all right. I think we summed it up pretty well there. I think I think you and I are going to both go for this. I say Rebus by submission. What do you think? I'll take Amanda Rebus in a submission as well. All right, cool. Duly noted. All right, two... Wow, you know, looking at this bottom row of fights really makes me realize how stacked this card is. We have the number one ranked contender, Jessica Andrade, versus uh, Thug Rose Namunas, who's the number two contender. What do you have for me on Andrade, my man? She's extremely well-rounded. She's got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but she doesn't just rely on the ground game. She's got seven knockouts, including that slam that won her the the UFC Women's Strawweight Championship from Rose Namunas. Uh, she's done really well. She can take fights to decision as well. She's won and lost in that kind of situation, including a loss by decision to Joanna Jean Jaytrick. Uh, but she's she's super well-rounded. Again, uh, she's going to rely on that Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, uh, but she's obviously one of the most talented women's fighters in the UFC. She's a top contender for a reason, and she's a former champion for a reason. She's a really outstanding fighter who does so many things well. She's tough to prepare for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there. So, yeah, she has black belts in jiu No, my bad. She has a, she has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. She has a very close guard. So, uh, this is very good against a very refined striker, Nama Yunus. Uh, her striking is unrefined but quite powerful. She likes those low leg kicks, and she's very comfortable on the back from what, I, from what I've seen. and. On a Namiusa style, she's very strong. She's one of, she's one of the strongest in this, in this division. Zhang is pretty damn strong too, but Nami Yunus might be the strongest in this division. Very well-refined striking because of her karate and uh, uh, taekwondo backgrounds. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, and she does have a little bit of a wrestling background from high school. What do you have? 
Yeah, Rose Namajunas, a, a very talented fighter, a really exciting fighter to watch. She was is one of the best women's fighters in the UFC, just like Jessica Andrade is. And she hasn't fought since she lost the title to her back in May of 2019. So it's been over a year since she's fought. Uh, but obviously, like you said, karate background, very refined striking, and so strong when the fight goes to the ground. So she's super fun to watch, and she she just beats people up. She's a very intense fighter, very fun to watch, and it's it's great to watch two. It's going to be great, I should say, to watch two fighters of this caliber go up against each other on one of the biggest stages the UFC has ever had. Oh, for sure. And I think when when we get into the keys for not, well, let's do this. We'll go into the keys for Nami Yunus. And like we said, I think she has, she does have a, a reach advantage of three inches. So she has to use that and uh, four and a half inches on the legs. So she has to use that to her advantage, of course, and stay aggressive. I think what happened with the last fight was that she, she lost her aggressiveness for a split second. And then Jessica Andrade just, you know, took advantage, clinched, and slammed her on the ground. So if she keeps her aggressiveness up like she did in the first one and a half rounds, I see her winning this fight like she should have the last fight. What do you think? I would agree with that. I think her black belts in both taekwondo and karate and then supplements that with a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. So she's obviously so talented, but in a matchup like this, which you don't see very often with her, where she's going to be the lesser fighter on the ground as compared to Jessica Andrade. I think if she can strike and strike aggressively while staying efficient, that's her best bet. Yeah, I think I think you and I pretty much summed it up there for uh, Naminas. And I think for Andrade, get it to the ground and try to, when you get in the clinch, bring it to the ground. She did do that a lot of times, but Rose is strong. She got up. She's got to find a way to stay there, stay there, make Naminas stay on the, her back on the ground, maintain the top control, and get into the pocket and dirty it up a little bit. And I think that will help her set up her takedowns. What do you think? I would agree with that. I think if this fight gets in close on the feet or on the ground, if if these two fighters are right up in each other uh, for the majority of this fight, it's going to be advantage on Drage in that case. And like you said, this fight, honestly, a lot of it will be decided by where it's fought. If it goes to the ground, it's going to be an advantage for Jessica Andrade. And if it stays on the feet, then it's going to be a really big advantage, in my opinion, uh, for Rose Namajunas. So I think two things for Jessica Andrade. Obviously, number one is get this fight to the ground. Take advantage of her superior background in jiu-jitsu and take this fight to the ground. Number two is to not get backed in a corner by Rose Namajunas. Like we said, in that, in that last title fight between these two, the biggest issue for Rose Namajunas was that she lost her aggressiveness. I think she's going to come out looking very heavily to try to walk Jessica Andrade down, control the octagon, and if she can do that, she'll be very successful. And on the flip side, Jessica Andrade really needs to stay out of getting backed up against the fence because that'll be really dangerous in this situation. All right, so what are your predictions? From my perspective, looking back at their last fight, and then comparing them both overall, I'm going to take Rose Namajunas in a decision. I'm going to take uh, Rose by knockout. Uh, Rose by knockout, I think that's a – I mean, either way, I think Andrade might drag it out to a decision, but 
I think Rose might back this up into the corner, and I think that's what will happen. All right, so to a matchup we didn't really want to see. Well, we want to see Piotr Jan, of course, but Jose Aldo, not really deserving, but we went into that last week. We're not going to get back into it again. So what do you have for me on Piotr Jan in this feather, no, bantamweight championship? Well, Piotr Jan is one of the fastest rising stars in the UFC. Uh, it's been now just over two years since he made his UFC debut uh, against Rudo Ishihara back in June of 2018. And since then, he hasn't lost. He's coming off uh, a win uh, December of 2019 against Uriah Faber, knocked him out with a high kick. Obviously, Uriah Faber on the back end of his career at this point, he's 41 years old, uh, but still one of the most, one of the best uh, bantamweight and featherweight fighters ever in mixed martial arts. So, this is going to be one of the first big tests for Piotr Jan. He's, he's risen up the rankings really, really fast, but he hasn't fought a ton of top-end contenders. So he's obviously extremely talented. Uh, he's got six knockout wins, seven by decision, and just one by submission. So he's going to try to stretch this fight out on the feet. He does have a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, but he's definitely a striker at heart. He's got a boxing background. That's his first, really the first combat sport he got involved with when he was young. So that's, that's going to be the best option for him. Stay on the feet, uh, use those hands that he obviously has been able to hone over time. He's been boxing most of his life. Yeah, he has. He has that master of, Russian master of sport in boxing and in mixed martial arts. Does that Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt. He has a high guard, and he likes to switch his stance. So he, he might throw Jose Aldo off a little bit with those stance switches. And he's very comfortable in the pocket, like we saw against Uriah Faber. He, when he got into the pocket, he threw uppercuts, hooks. He was very refined in the pocket, for which, from what I saw, too. So that's very important. And he's a very patient striker. He, he picks his shots. He's not, just, he's not gung-ho or wild. He's very patient. And I think that will serve a big advantage against a guy – who who's coming down a weight class? Well, he's the he's all time he's the goat in the featherweights, of course. But he if he if he he's patient and he's smart, he could definitely beat Jose Otto. And with Jose Otto style, a best kicker in UFC history, arguably, or fine striking with the legs, and he's kind of unorthodox with his fists, but he's smart with them. And he's because of his own orthodoxy, it, it can throw him off, and he's pretty powerful too. Great defensive. Re- he's a great defensive wrestler, and he has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and in catch wrestling. What do you think? Yeah, Jose Otto again, one of the best fighters of all time that we've ever seen in the UFC. Honestly, in my opinion, he's a, a surefire Hall of Famer when he does retire. And uh, I mean, you just read his accomplishments, and it's it's some of the best we've ever seen. He's the final WEC featherweight champion. He was the youngest champion in WEC history. He was a two-time UFC featherweight champion and was the first ever. The most successful title defenses in UFC featherweight history. The most consecutive title defenses in UFC featherweight history. I mean, it, it reads like a Hall of Fame induction list. Except those were all in the featherweight division. I mean, Jose Aldo is very clearly on the back end of his career at this point. And he made the move down to bantamweight late in 2019. And his first fight in the bantamweight division, he lost to Marlon Moraes in a split decision. Take that for what you will. That was a really good fight. But he still lost his first fight at bantamweight. So 
like you said, one of the best kick strikers we've ever seen in the UFC and great, great wrestling defense. I won't dispute that. But again, we've got a guy late in his career that, again, is a UFC legend, but we haven't seen him much in this bantamweight division. I'm not sure particularly what to expect on Saturday. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm concerned about, especially with Jose Aldo. I think, I think the keys for Jose Aldo would be uh, use his leg kicks, of course, and uh, force minimal stance changes from Piotr Jan. Keep and like you know attack a front leg, and when you attack the front leg, Piotr Jan will only be able to stand one stance and push forward on Piotr Jan, make him feel uncomfortable. Use that reach. What do you think? I would have to agree. The same thing. Exactly what you said. Basically, is just attack with the attack with those kicks it's what's got him to this point so far in his UFC career it's what's made him one of the best well made him arguably the best featherweight of all time and will probably he'll try to have carry him in the in the bantamweight division as well that's that's exactly what I would say as well and for Jan it's getting the pocket make it a fist fight dirty it up I that's what I have what do you have I can't dispute that at all Piotr Jan is is a boxer by trade, and if he can get in tight, it's going to mean trouble for Jose Aldo. All right, what's your prediction? I am going to take Piotr Jan by knockout to win the vacant bantamweight championship and then face Aljamain Sterling later in 2020. All right, I had the same thing. So, on to a rematch, another very anticipated matchup. Alex Kander and Volkanovski versus Max Holloway for the featherweight championship of the world. What do you have for me on Volkanovski? Well, Alexander Volkanovski obviously is the champion. He's, he's beaten Max Holloway before the, the last fight for him. He's a knockout guy. He's 11 of his 21 wins have come by knockout. He's, he's got three submission wins, but he's not at his best on the ground. Uh, he does have one professional boxing match that he won, obviously, that's kind of where he plies his trade, similar to Piotr Jan. He's got a boxing background. But he does have a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so he, he can obviously do work when it goes to the ground. And he kind of started late in the MMA. He started at the age of 22. And obviously, he's still a very, very good striker in this division. And He's a very good counter striker. He's got a great overhand right. And he can, he can wrestle with the best of them. Uh, obviously, he doesn't have a wrestling background, but he was a rugby player in his younger days. And anybody who understands rugby knows how much you, need, you have to understand leverage and throws uh, to, to thrive at a high level in the game of rugby. So Volkanovski, again, really well-rounded, and he can just really go after people aggressively, but also defend in a really efficient way. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, I think you put it uh, perfectly. I can't really add much more to that. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. He does have a little bit of a Greco-Roman wrestling background, so that helps when he's up against the cage so he can set those that Greco clinch. And very aggressive, and he likes to move forward. Like you said, he likes that overhand right when, and when he gets into the pocket. So I can't really... I can't really add much more to that. And for Holloway, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Purple Belt does not have a wrestling background. He's one, he was one of the very few champs to have a wrestling background when he did hold the belt. He's very calculative. Calculated creative striking is how I describe his style. Very smart. Kickboxer. 
he throws elbows, spinning, spinning elbows, spinning back fists. He knows what he's doing. Very calculated and precise. What do you have to add? I can't add much more to that. He's got really impressive athleticism uh, for a guy that is as long as he is. He does a lot of things that you see a lot of UFC fighters not be able to do, like you said, with that kind of creative striking that he's able to throw at people. And it is able to keep people off guard a lot. He keeps fighters back on their heels. And I think that's made him kind of tough to prepare for. Uh, We saw back at UFC 245 back in December – Uh, when Volkanovski did beat him for the UFC featherweight title, it took Volkanovski a little bit of time to settle into that fight against Max Holloway. And I think it's because Holloway's style forces guys to adjust as the fight goes along. And I think we saw Alexander Volkanovski do that. So it's, it's very interesting to watch because if people, if fighters can figure Holloway out and what his approach is, he's beatable it's just a matter of how often people do that and it isn't very often that that happens yeah definitely i can't put i can't can't add much more to that so i think the keys for volkanovsky get in the pocket i think he should do the same thing as he did last time but be more careful about it because max uh he started being a little reckless toward the end and max was kind of exploiting those uh mistakes in the fourth and fifth rounds uh be prepared be aggressive that's what i have what do you have For Alexander Volkanovsky, I think he needs to do what he did in that first fight, which is obviously adjust to what Holloway throws at him. Like I said, Holloway is such a diverse kind of fighter, a little bit unorthodox in everything that he does. So, you know, kind of stretch the fight out, make it a longer fight so he can find those ways to to pick apart Max Holloway's approach because he, he shakes it up so much and is so unorthodox. And he had a ton of low kicks uh, in that first fight between these two. And I think he can go back to that as well. Max Holloway is five inches taller than Alexander Volkanovsky. And in terms of reach, that can be an advantage, but it also gives Volkanovsky a much larger target to chop him down. So I think Volkanovsky is going to have to – do that on the feet and then use his wrestling when he needs to, because again, Max or Max Holloway, excuse me, does have some, does have an outstanding Brazilian jujitsu background, as you said. So for Volkanovsky, he can take it to the ground, but I wouldn't rely on the ground game to win this fight for him. Yeah. I I said pretty much the same things before you cut out a little bit there. So I think the, the keys for Holloway are use, use his leg reach, chop Volkanovsky down a little bit, uh, keep stance. No, keep distance. My bad. I don't know why I read it like that. Fight, fight his own fight. Figure it out. He needs to fight his own way. He he adapts to what Volkanovski was doing, and I don't think that worked too well. I think if he fights his own fight, be, be make sure he's make sure he's ah, make sure he himself is creative. Uh, I think he could win this fight, and if he controls the pace, what do you think? I think pace is going to be a big thing for Max Holloway because like I said, in that title fight back in December, we saw Holloway control the octagon early in that fight. He had Volkanovsky back on his heels. He had him backing up against the fence. And that's not something we see Alexander Volkanovsky do a ton. He's an aggressive fighter. And I think if Max Holloway can, as you said, keep control of the pace, fight the fight he wants to, 
then he will be in a position to get this featherweight title back. All right. Predictions. What do you have? I'm, despite what I just said uh, about Max Holloway controlling the pace of this fight, I don't think he's going to do that successfully. I'm going to take Alexander Volkanovsky to retain the featherweight title. In, I'll say decision. I'll, I'll give him a decision win. Yeah, I, I was, I'm saying the same thing. Man, we're saying the same stuff today, man. All right. Volkanovsky by decision from both of us. All right. To a little gift that we got this week because Gilbert Burns came down with COVID. I hope he gets better. He'll get his settle shot rather soon. I'm sure of it. Kamar Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. The fight everyone, and I mean everyone, has wanted to see. What are your thoughts on this fight in general before we go into each fighter? What 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 do you think was going to happen when Usman had to not Usman uh, Burns had to drop out? Well, uh, as far as as far as the who his replacement would be, you mean? Yeah. What were you thinking? Well, honestly, I mean Jorge Masvidal wasn't really the first name to pop into my mind because there had been the contract dispute with him in the UFC. I was expecting a, a different fill in for sure. I mean, you saw Colby Covington throw his name out there as a possible replacement, uh, but then Jorge Masvidal uh, threw his his hat into the ring, and obviously that turned into a huge money fight for the UFC, as Masvidal is one of the most polarizing figures in the sport. So I certainly, when I heard news that Gilbert Burns wasn't going to be able to fight on Saturday, I thought there was a greater chance with the strength of this card. I would have I bet that this fight would have been moved or canceled over – Jorge Masvidal fighting Kamaru Usman on Saturday, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. I expected this to get be canceled. I was going to be very disappointed. But when Jorge Masvidal decided to step in, I got. I think you and I both got quite excited about it. It's the fight we both wanted. Now they didn't get full camps for each other, but I think this. I think that'll make the matchup a little more interesting. I think I'll go into that a little later. So, what what do you have for me on Kamaru Usman? To be completely frank, Kamar Usman is one of the best fighters in the world. I mean, he's dominated this welterweight division ever since he debuted for the UFC, uh, coming up through the Ultimate Fighter in 2015 and then uh, making his proper UFC debut uh, in December of that year in actually a, what has turned into kind of one of the most interesting fights the UFC has ever seen. He took on Leon Edwards, uh, obviously another great contender in the welterweight division. Uh, in his UFC debut uh, back in, De- in December of 2015, as I said. Uh, but he's an outstanding striker, obviously, uh, with seven wins by knockout, eight by decision, just one submission victory. But he does have a wrestling background. Uh, he was a Division II national champion in wrestling for Nebraska Kearney back in 2010 and uh, had a third-place finish in 2008 and a second-place second finish in 2009. And he does have a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's an extremely well-rounded fighter. He wouldn't be, I would say, one of the 10 best fighters on earth without that. So he can strike. He can take you to the ground. He can tap you out, really, with that Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. We haven't seen that a ton, but he has the ability to do it in his back pocket. So, again, I feel like I've said this about a lot of guys on this card, but Kamaru Usman especially 
is one of the most well-rounded fighters on earth, and that's what makes him so fun to watch. I love watching Kamaru Usman fight uh, just for the essence of the sport that he puts forward every time he steps into the octagon. Yeah, for sure. I, I can I really can't add much more to that except this his his striking isn't orthodox, but it's powerful. He stepped in with Colby Covington, probably one of arguably one of the top five, top seven strikers in the UFC. And he won by beating Colby Covington at his own game. Yes, he got kicked in the liver, faked it, I don't care. But Kamar Usman beat Colby Covington at his own game. And that shows how good Kamar Usman really is. And with Jorge Masvidal, I mean under what this guy's all about street fighter kickboxing i mean he's he's a straight up brawl he's he's somewhat similar to nate diaz in the sense that he just likes to get in there and dirty it up and but he can submit a little bit he does have a darts choke on his record from his uh wec days i believe so what do you have for me on uh jorge masvidal jorge masvidal is one of the most interesting fighters that i think mixed martial arts has ever seen because, I mean, he's got a long career. He's got almost 50 professional fights. He made his professional debut in 2003, and this is his first title fight in the UFC. He's been in the UFC for seven years now, and he's getting his first title fight, and he was never considered much of a major contender, I would say, until 2019. It's, it's a crazy thing to watch. Well, he, he's been in some title eliminators in the past. I shouldn't say 2019. I should say probably about 2017 is when he really started to show up on the radar as a welterweight contender. And he's so interesting because he's just going to go out there and try to beat your face off. Like <laughs> Jorge Masvidal would be just as comfortable fighting you in a back alley somewhere as he would fighting in the octagon. Honestly, there are, there are two fighters, the two fighters that I would least want to see uh, walking up to me on a dark sidewalk are Jorge Masvidal and somebody that somehow it feels like gets mentioned on every episode of this podcast. Yo Romero. He's not fighting, and it's Yoel Romero. <laughs> but but that's, a, that's completely besides the point. Jorge Masvidal is so exciting to watch as a fighter. I mean, if you haven't seen, uh, there's no way anyone on social media hasn't seen him knock Ben Askren out with a flying knee in five seconds. It's one of the most impressive things we've ever seen in the UFC. But Jorge Masvidal is so exciting to watch, and he's such a polarizing figure. I'm so excited to see him go against somebody like Kamaru Usman, who really is uh, more of a stoic kind of go out and get business done kind of guy. Yeah, for sure. All right, I think that's a good uh, way to uh, Usman's keys. Now, I I think call me crazy, but I think Usman's best bet is to bring this to the ground. I think if he stands in and fights with Jorge Masvidal, it, it won't be good for him because Jorge Masvidal is just way way too aggressive on the feet. And do, like I said on my notes, do not fist fight. Be smart. Use your striking wisely. Use your striking. To set up those takedowns, you do have a little bit of reach advantage and a leg reach advantage, but do not do not get into the pocket with this dude because if Jorge Masvidal gets into your pocket, he will knock you out. What are your keys for Usman? I think what I just said, honestly, about these two guys' personalities carries over into the, into the octagon as well. I mean, Jorge Masvidal, like you said, is going to be ridiculously aggressive. That's how he wins fights. 
whereas Kamaru Usman is a much more controlled fighter who's much more refined in everything he does. And I think that's going to be a key for Usman is let Jorge Masvidal make the mistakes. Kamaru Usman doesn't make a lot of mistakes. That's, that's one of the biggest things for him is he doesn't put himself in positions to get finished. And I think if he lets Jorge Masvidal put himself in a bad position, then Usman is going to win this fight either by knockout or submission. Uh, I think if this fight does go to the ground, which I think it will, Usman, obviously, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, all-American Division II wrestler is going to have the advantage there. And I think while he will have the advantage there, I don't know that that would be his his go-to in this fight. I think that is where he could have a lot of success. But I think he can stand and throw strikes with Jorge Masvidal and do it successfully. I think it's just going to be a matter of staying efficient and not fighting the way Jorge Masvidal is going to want to fight, which is get into the pocket and just try and punch each other in the face until somebody falls down. Yeah, I, th- I think you when, you when you're talking there, I kind of thought of a good point. I think – I mean – I think we both agree the keys for Masvidal is dirty up, get in the pocket. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. If this fight gets in tight on the feet, that's honestly probably the only place Jorge Masvidal has an advantage is if it does get into the pocket and they can just swap strikes, like I said, until somebody hits the mat. Yeah. So I I think the person who controls the – I mean, obviously this is usual, but – Pace in this fight is going to be so critical. And I think if Usman slows it down, Jorge Masvidal won't have, will have a tough time getting in the pocket. But if Jorge Masvidal takes center control and likes to speed up the fight and get Usman against the fence, I think that is absolute trouble for Usman. So if Usman can keep it toward the center of the octagon, the whole fight in general, and not get up against the fence, and, take, and if it does go around the fence area, take center control... Usman will win this fight. But if Jorge Masvidal gets any light with Usman's back toward the cage, it, I think Jorge Masvidal will take total advantage of that. What do you think? I would agree with that. And to build on that, I think the longer this fight goes on, the more of an advantage Kamaru Usman has. Because Jorge Masvidal does, I mean, half of his career wins have come by decision, but not a lot of them have been recent. The last time he had a fight go to decision was in November of 2017 when he lost to Steven Thompson. And the fight before that, he lost a split decision to Damian Maya. So Jorge Masvidal, obviously these guys are trading to fight even beyond five rounds in their camps. You hear him say it all the time, how long these guys are training in camps, how much longer they feel like they can go even sometimes. But Jorge Masvidal, when it comes down to brass tacks, has not gone past the third round of a UFC fight since 2017. And that, uh, well, he's, he's never fought in the championship round uh, except uh, for a main event against Benson Henderson all the way back in 2015. So the, the longest he's gone is the doctor stoppage against Nate Diaz that did go full time, I guess you could say, in the fight for the BMF belt, uh, a full three rounds. But still, he, he has not gone past that point in his UFC career outside of one fight that was five years ago. So Kamara Usman 
the longer this fight goes, the bigger of an advantage he's going to have. Yeah, and I think a disadvantage that Kamaru Usman has is that he was training for a guy that's so well-versed in every aspect of the of the fighting game. And Gilbert Burns, like, Gilbert Burns, yes, he's, he's a beast on the ground, but lately over the past year or two, his stand-up game has been off the charts like he did against uh, Tyron Woodley. He, 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 he pummeled him the whole, the whole five rounds that they were in the octagon together. And I think Kamar Usman was preparing for a guy who could either stand it up and just take it to the ground whenever he wants to. So he's going to have to, in this you know maybe six-week mini camp that they've had, watch Jorge Masvidal film and just try to you know get used to just getting that in that mindset that this fight won't go to the ground unless I say so. And I think if that's a little bit of a disadvantage for Usman, and I think there's obviously a disadvantage for Masvidal too, who didn't really have a full, he didn't have a camp at all for this. He just decided to say, hey, this is my fight. And I think with the lack of camps for these guys, this will make them fight their the fight that they want to fight, fight their own way. What do you think? I think I think you've got a really good point there. This is just going to be two guys going out and fighting their style. And you talk about the short camps. Jorge Masvidal has come out and said he's going to cut 20 pounds in six days. That's insane. Honestly, I think if anybody could do it, it's him. <laughs> oh, I totally, I totally agree. But still, going into a fight against, like I've said several times, one of the best fighters on the planet, on coming off such a severe cut like that, is gonna affect somebody. Again, we've completely established this. Jorge Masvidal, in terms of mentality, and just overall personality is unlike almost anything the UFC has ever seen but still that's that's something really difficult to deal with and I think it's going to be a factor when these two step into the octagon on Saturday yeah for sure all right we, we've beat we've beat a, we've beaten the dead horse with this fight what are your predictions I'm going to take in a decision Kamara Usman retains the title I'm, I'm going to say the same thing Usman by decision uh, retains the title all right, so I'll, there's so some fights got announced lately. So I think what you and I were talking about, uh, Tiago Santos versus uh, Glove Chair. You and I were texting about this. <laughs> Whoever gets hit in the head first loses this fight. What? <laughs> wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean these are two guys that have been around the UFC, particularly in this in this light heavyweight division for so long, and I mean both of them honestly have kind of had a little bit of a rejuvenation lately. Obviously, Tiago Santos is coming off that controversial split decision in the title fight against John Jones, but he was on a multi-fight win streak before that. And then Glover Teixeira, I think, is, is fighting at a high level at the age of 40, much longer than anybody could have thought. He's got four straight wins, the last one coming against Anthony Smith, who uh, it's it's – crazy to see honestly Glover Teixeira fighting at this high of a level at the age of 40 so Santos is the younger guy at 36 but there's still guys that have been around for a really long time and they're both guys that surprisingly can still go it's not often you see a 36 year old paired up against a 40 year old and you're like hey I can't wait to see that fight but I can't wait to see that fight yeah, it'll, it'll be absolutely phenomenal. And right here, uh, 
Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Yagi Rodriguez. This, this is a little bit of a title eliminator, wouldn't you think? I would have to think so, and I'm extremely excited for this fight because I have not gotten to talk about him on this show, but I love Zabit Magomed Sharapov, and I am so excited for this fight. Yeah, that's, that'll be a good one. I can't wait to talk about that that, that week. Um, yeah, nothing really much here. Um, well, I mean, on, four, on the 14th, well, not UFC on ESPN, 14, July 25th, we'll talk about this one right here. Uh, two, if this was 10 years ago, this would be a title fight, but <laughs> this is an interesting one. All right, so, well, we're back here to the normal view, I guess. So, you have any final thoughts? Honestly, nothing really jumps to mind. This is, it, it's funny because we're going into the, probably the biggest fight of the year as far as the UFC goes. And I don't really have much more to say about it. We ran down the entire main card and I feel really good about the way the UFC is going into this. Uh, it was, it was reported while we've been recording here uh, that Jorge Masvidal has officially cleared quarantine. He's uh, going to pass one more test on uh, will have to pass I should say one more COVID-19 test on Friday to officially be able to fight on Saturday which actually reminded me of a point to, to backtrack to that a little bit his coach Mike Brown tested positive for COVID-19 so he will not be in Jorge Masvidal's corner which I mean we saw Mike Perry who is in the news once again oh my gosh. Uh, if you want to get into that I don't let's know talk if we about need that to. a little bit <laughs> uh, but but to finish up that Jorge Masvidal point, he's going to not have his coach in his corner, which taking this fight on short notice, I think will definitely affect him more than it would if he had a full camp. Yeah, for sure. And Mike Perry, man, that this dude needs some help. You and I uh, beat the dead horse at that point a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the last fight night. I mean, really, he didn't have to knock out a, a 60, 70-year-old man. I mean, you could just put him in a chokehold. Even he just approached you. He, he could just run. I mean, this dude needs help. But I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> yeah, Mike Perry has been one of the most controversial fighters in the UFC for as long as he's been there, and he's he's obviously obviously there are some deeper seated issues than what we see on the surface with him. He's He's been in trouble before, but this honestly, this is criminal. We've not, he's, he's not had issues with the law, at least since he's been in the UFC that we've known about publicly. And there are, there are race related issues with this. There are probably going to be criminal charges coming up against him with this. Honestly, as much of a headache as Mike Perry has been for the UFC in the past, this might have been the straw that broke the camel's back as far as his spot on the roster goes, which is a shame because he looked so impressive against Mickey Gall. But when something like this happens, the UFC cannot overlook it, no matter who it is stepping into the octagon. Absolutely not. All right. I think we already have final thoughts. Daniel, thanks for coming back on, my man. Yes, sir. All right. We'll see you guys for the UFC 251 review. See you guys.